0: We're celebrating Youth Camp Sunday, and uh, as, as we were getting ready for service to start, Tim told me I, I might need them to sit down there because there's a ton of them up there. It feels like half the church is gone. But I think what that emphasizes and what that proves to us is that this is something that's worth doing. Youth Camp is something that's worth our church's investment, it's something that's worth our time, it's something that's worth our sacrifice. Because you've got a, a huge group of teenagers that are sitting up here that they didn't just go. They invited their friends to come with them. And they're sitting up there. There's even adults that are sitting up there that were crazy enough to spend a week of their vacation at youth camp to have slot buckets poured on them. They were willing to do that. But I'm so thankful to be part of a church who's willing to make an investment in something like youth camp. Uh, something that can be such a, an influence and a power and a... A student's life and a child's life to get them to a point where they realize, oh, I'm not the only one that has an interest in God. I'm not the only one struggling with the things that I'm struggling with. I'm not the only one that needs a savior. There's a ton of them like me. And while we would say youth camp is a time when God seems to work specifically in these students' lives, we know that now that we're home, guys, now that we're home, this is when the real work starts any of them that were there that made any kind of commitment or made any decision to start working, uh, walking more faithfully with the Lord or said that they need to be baptized, they need to put their faith in Christ, and there were some of them that did say they needed to do that, now we start to follow up. Now we start talking to them. Now we start seeing what's going to happen. So I'm just so thankful, and I want you to know that, church, because all of you played a part in this too. Even if you didn't go, even if you didn't drive a bus, even if you didn't serve in the kitchen. And I do need to thank some very specific people. I'm I'm especially thankful to Mark, Echoangeli, Robin Sheila Fent, Sherry Zub, Larry Weaver, Randy Troughton for serving us faithfully in the kitchen, for cooking all of our food for us, making sure that we were fed. They 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 had challenges to overcome. One of the refrigerators went out and all the food inside of it went bad, and they had to come up with a plan to fix something and and they were able to do that without a hitch. I'm thankful for Gaetano Polino, who he made those those uh, those videos that you got to watch that we posted on Facebook to let everybody know what's going on at home. Randy Thomas, who not only drove a bus but also took pictures so that we could show everybody at home. Here's what's going on. Here's here's what you're praying for while we're away. I'm thankful for Lucas Setzler, who led the music and the worship team at camp. You notice I'm mentioning other people. They're not even part of our church. They're part of different churches. That's one of the most encouraging things to me about how we do youth camp is that we have, this is our church, we run it, yes, but we invite other churches that we're like-minded with in our community to be a part of what we're doing at youth camp. And it was exciting to see all that happened there. Youth Camp Sunday, what we wanna try to do is just take a moment to celebrate what God has done through camp and the opportunity that we had as a church to make an investment in these students' lives. And so I want to share with you a little bit about camp and what these students were learning all week. Because those videos and those pictures that you saw, they showed them having a lot of fun. They showed a lot of games. But they also showed them reading their Bibles, showed them doing devotions every single day. It showed them in worship, praising the Lord, and listening to preaching from the Word of God, challenging them to submit themselves to it. So what did our students learn at camp this year? Our camp theme, as you've probably seen it on our shirts that we're all wearing, is all in. The camp theme was all in. To be all in on something means that you are completely committed to the task. It means that you hold nothing back. You see it through to the end. You're willing to make the sacrifices it takes to accomplish the goal. That's what it means to be all in. See, when you're willing to have a slot bucket poured on your head to get points for your team, you're all in. When you're running so fast on a dark field full of obstacles that you plow down a pallet like a linebacker to win a game of capture the flag, you're all in. That really happened. It was awesome. When you completely empty your cabin of everyone's personal belongings to ensure that you're not punished for having a dirty cabin, you're all in. When you wake up earlier than everyone else to start working on your memory verse because you struggle to memorize things, you're all in. And that happened too. During our week at camp, we applied this idea of being all in to God's word. And we wanted to see what does God's word say about being all in. And here's what we found. We found, first of all, the thing that's the most obvious is this. God is all in. God is completely committed to the task of saving sinners. God is all in for his own glory. He is committed to the worship and to the praise of his name and his name alone. That is what God is all in for. Everything that God has done leading up to this and everything that God will ever do is for that one thing. It is for his own glory For the glory and the praise of his name. To glorify something is to praise it. To recognize the importance of another. The weight that the other carries within a community. And God is all in for his own glory. I remember the first time I ever heard that concept explained to me. It was a little confusing. It didn't seem quite right. That God would be concerned about his own fame. And the own praise of his name. Because when we do that, what do we get called? Arrogant, boastful, prideful, selfish. But the more you think about that, the more it makes sense. I mean, honestly, who else would you glorify? Who else is worthy of that kind of praise? Who else is worthy of the admiration? Who else is worthy of your complete love and devotion Is there any that you can mention? Is there any that you can think of? Because I can't think of anyone greater than the Lord who is deserving of that. And if there is no one greater that we should be glorifying, then it is completely fitting and good that God would seek his own glory. That is exactly what he should do, for there is no one greater than him. But that doesn't stop others from trying. Anything else that competes for my praise and admiration is trying to get something that it does not deserve. Scripture calls these idols, and it's very clear they are worthless. They can't do for you what they promise they can. Idols don't have to be these little statues that are carved out of wood or of metal or of stone. It's anything that you care about more than you care about God. It could be a person. It could be money. It could be a job. It could be your family, even. It could be material possessions. It could be sports. Anything that takes the place of God in your life is an idol that you are worshiping, and it does not deserve the glory that it wants you to give idols make promises that they cannot keep we think that they can provide us the satisfaction the happiness the security the fulfillment the peace that might come with them but they always fail you and it doesn't matter how much you trust an idol it doesn't matter how much faith you put in those things to deliver that to you because it doesn't matter The strength of your faith means nothing if the thing you're putting your faith in has no power to deliver you. If it has no power to bring you that peace, that satisfaction, fulfillment, the security, it will fail you. There probably was not a funnier moment at camp than when Ryan Lundquist stood up during Quiz Bowl. Super confident that he had the right answer to a question that had been gotten wrong many times. He stood up and he shouted out his answer. Wrong. (laughs) And his face fell. But that's exactly what it's like to trust in an idol. To be so confident. To put your trust in something that at the end of the day is a disappointment. Sorry, Ryan, you're not a disappointment. The fact that God is all in for his own glory is actually very good news. It's good news for us that he is. Because one of the primary ways that God seeks to glorify himself is to save sinners from death and destruction. And by the way, that's me, that's you, that's all of them. And if that's the way God chooses to glorify himself, then God's glory is for my good, isn't it? They're not at odds. They're hand in hand. And that's why in one of our scripture passages that we already read this morning, the psalmist is able to say in Psalm 115, 1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. We should not be afraid, church, to pray that God would glorify himself. In fact, that should be our prayer every day. Because God's glory is for our good The problem is God is not the only one that is out for glory. He's not the only one that wants the praise and the admiration and the attention. Because the world is all in too. The world is all in. In its opposition to God, it hates God and it does everything it can to draw you in and to make you an enemy of God along with it. That's what the world is about. We have an enemy. The world will do things like celebrate sin and mourn righteousness. If you need an example of that, you just need to think about what's been going on this entire month. As you've probably walked into businesses or restaurants and you've seen a rainbow flag hanging there. Pride month. What is that all about? It's a celebration of sin. It's an affirmation of sin and a love and rejection of what God has said. The world celebrates sin, but it also mourns and hates righteousness. Praise God that just a few days ago, a, few days ago, a ruling for the, from the Supreme Court reversed a decision that led to the death of over 60 million unborn children since 1973. We praise God for that. We're thankful for that. We've been praying for that as a church. We've we've been hoping for that. Some of you maybe have personally made commitments to fight for that. But did you see what the response of the world around us was? Anger. Frustration. Mourning, even. The world loves sin and hates righteousness. And it is doing all it can To pull us along with it. Satan does all he can to make righteousness look bad. And sin look good. And he has tools at his disposal for doing that. He uses peer pressure in our friends. In our culture. In our schools. To to pull us in every which way. But to be honest with you. Satan doesn't really have to work very hard does he? Because all he's really doing. Is he's using the thing that's already in our hearts. We already have a a fallen, sinful nature that wants to go in that direction. We want to rebel against God. We want to go after the things of this world. We want to reject the Lord. So Satan doesn't have to work really hard to pull you in that direction. There is a battle on the outside coming towards us, but all that battle is doing is it's engaging the battle that's already happening in our hearts. And we have all failed 1 John 2.16 says, All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, whose flesh is that? It's mine. It's yours. The desires of the eyes, whose eyes? It's our eyes. And the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. James 4.1 says, What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? This battle is already raging in. And all Satan does is he comes in and uses it to his own advantage to pull you away from God and get you committed to the world. So do we have an enemy, Satan? Yeah, we do. But our problem is our hearts that reject the Lord. One of the most deceptive lies that Satan uses is he gets us to think that so long as we don't, fully commit to the ways of the world, but we keep a little bit of godliness. We keep a little bit of Christianity with us, a little bit of spiritual knowledge, and we can just walk the fence. We can just stay somewhere in the middle, not completely committed to one. That is one of the most deceptive lies that the world gives us. It tries to convince you that you can play both sides. It tries to convince you That you can still have your worldly priorities so long as you at least go to church periodically. So long as you still look like a Christian. You can claim that you've been to church in the last month. You can enjoy sin so long as you ask forgiveness for it later. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to read your Bible and actually strive to know God more. So long as you actually have a Bible somewhere in your house so it's there when you really need it. We read a passage from Revelation this morning referencing the church at Laodicea. They tried doing that, didn't they? They tried playing both sides. And what did they receive but a harsh warning from Christ, letting them know that if they did not amend their ways, if they did not make up their mind, if they did not become neither hot nor cold, he would spit them out of his mouth. They were trying to play both sides. The book of James says that to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. You see, you can't play both sides. You can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God. Maybe in your mind, that's okay. Maybe in your mind, that works. But at the end of the day, it doesn't actually work. Because you may be content to keep secret sin in your life, but God isn't. You may be content to have your group of church friends that you act one way around and your group of worldly friends that you act another way around. But you know who isn't? God isn't content with that. It's not that he doesn't want you to have friends in this world and neighbors and family. But to play both sides with that, he's not content with that. You may be content to say that your relationship with God is important for you while you consistently give the priority to the sports that you play or a paycheck that you get from work. You might be content with that, but God is not content with that. You see, a husband cheating on his wife without her knowledge, he's content with that arrangement. But you want to know who isn't content with that arrangement? His wife. It's in the same way God will not tolerate A cheating Christian. Some of you are so arrogant to think that you can sneak around on God and play both sides, that you can do both, that you can have the world and you can have God. I'm afraid, though, that what you're going to find is that you're going to be spit out, you'll be found to be lukewarm. And while you may think that you are a friend of God and of the world, what you'll find when you approach God in heaven, when you ask to be led into the kingdom of heaven, the words of Jesus will become true. When he said that many of you will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And what will he say in return? Depart from me. I never knew you. Do not be deceived. When you choose to be a friend of the world, you also choose to be an enemy of God. And you stand under his judgment. The truth is that all of us stand before God as his enemies because scripture says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, the world won, the world did pull us away. We are condemned because of our sin. Praise God that the world is not all that's all in though. You see, God is all in for his own glory. The world is all in to pull you away from God, to bring you to destruction with itself. But Jesus Christ is all in too. Jesus Christ is all in. He has gone all in by laying down his life for us to bring us back to God. Isaiah 53, six says that we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, straying, disobedient, rebellious sheep. Praise God that Jesus is the good shepherd of the sheep. Praise God that Jesus is the good shepherd who knows each and every sheep individually. You may think that you have a secret life and that God doesn't know you and that he doesn't mind, he doesn't notice, but he does, he knows you. He knows you intimately. He knows you more than you know yourself. And he loves you. Can you imagine that? He knows more faults about you than anyone else in your life, and he still loves you. He knows the sheep. He's the good shepherd who cares for the sheep when they're hurt. He's not just some righteous judge sitting up in the heavens looking down on you with contempt like you're some lowly being that isn't deserving of his time or his energy. No, he looks down and he sees you in your pain and in your suffering, stuck in your sin. And guess what? He cares for you. He cares about what's going on in your life. He cares about the struggles. He cares about the difficulties because he is the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd who goes after the sheep when they stray. Some of you feel like you have been so bad in your life, that you've made so many bad decisions that he could never accept you. That you're now a black sheep that doesn't belong, that could never come back. That if the challenges you've been facing and the sins you've given into, if they were ever brought to light, you would be kicked out. You see, the opposite is true. You've wandered away and Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, so he goes to get you. He says that there are those who are part of the fold that have not yet come in, and so he is going out to get them. He is the good shepherd, but most of all, Jesus is the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. Because of our sin, we stand as enemies of God, undeserving of his love and of his fellowship, but in mercy, rather than casting us off like worthless sheep, he has come after us, and he has laid his life down in our place. So that we can be redeemed, brought back into the flock, brought back into the fold, and made a son or a daughter of God. Rather than judging us according to our crimes, he judged Christ according to our crimes. Jesus Christ on the cross, when he died, he took upon on himself all the wrath of God that you and I deserved, so that we might have his righteousness. He stood in our place. So that our sin is paid for. And so that through his resurrection from the dead, we could have new life in Christ. That's the very mission that he said he came here to accomplish. He said in John 10.10, I came that that they might have life and have it abundantly. And that is exactly the mission he accomplished when he rose from the dead. By putting your faith in Christ, you can be forgiven for your sin and born again to a living hope. You can go from a, pl- from a place where you have been chasing after the world and you've been all in for the world to where now you're born again. You are a new creation in Christ and you can now live to fulfill the purpose for which God made you for, which is to glorify him. You can be born again to that living hope to where it's not only God that's all in for his own glory It's not only the world that's all in. It's not only Jesus Christ that is all in. If you're born again, that means you can be all in too. It means that you can be all in for living for the Lord. By putting your faith in Christ and being transformed by what he has done in your life. You can be all in. It means you have a new heart. You're no longer dead in your sin, but you're alive in Christ we know that we're never saved by our own good deeds, but we strive to be what we are. We strive to be new creations in Christ. Because while He sees us as those who have been made holy by the sacrifice of Christ, we still have work to do, don't we? And it's because we've been made alive that we can do that work, that we can strive for the holiness. We can't simply be content to be forgiven for sin, but we now try to do everything we can to live in the freedom from sin that has been given to us by the resurrection of Christ. Like the same way a a prisoner who finally gets let out of a jail, they don't just sit around in the jail still. No, they go out and they live in the freedom that they now have from that prison. Those who have been made alive in Christ are now actually able to live their lives as God designed them to be lived in fellowship with him. So we strive not only to be free from our sin, but to know God more every day. We have the spirit that opens our eyes to see the truth of who he is in his word. And so we strive to know him by engaging what scripture says through prayer, communion with God. Those who have been born again live like that, not only because it is already what they are, but it is because it is who they will be. We will never be perfect here. There will always be trials. There will always be struggles. But we have the promise in God's word that one day, everything will be made right. That one day, all of our struggle, all of our striving, will be over. Because Jesus will return and he will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. Some of you, are closer to that time than others. And you know very well what it is to say, I wanna go home. I wanna be home with the Lord. Paul in Philippians 3.20 says that our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things To himself. You see when you put your faith in Christ. What that means for you now. Is that you are only a visitor to this world. You're waiting for the next one. Because that is where your home is. You're here on a temporary visa. And your passport says. That you're a citizen of heaven. And we're waiting for that day. For Christ to return. And to bring us into full. And final fellowship. With our father with our brothers and our sisters in the Lord. Look at your life. Genuinely, look at your life. Are you living like your home is here? Are you living for the things that are here? Are you living and going after the things of this world? Are you putting your hope and your assurance and your comfort in the idols that this world has to offer or are you living like you actually belong in the next world are you putting your priorities in what god has told you those should be are you trusting in him for your righteousness or are you trying to simply be the best person that you can be here in this place so that maybe when you get there you can say i was as good as i could have been god because if that's if that's your hope i'm sorry His answer is going to be, it wasn't good enough. There's only one who was good enough. And that was my son, Jesus Christ, who I sent to you. He was the good shepherd to bring you back into the fold. 1 John 2.17 says, The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. God is all in for his own glory All of the blessings he gives to us are meant to lead us to glorify him. Our world is opposed to God and does all it can to bring us along with it, making us enemies of God too. But Jesus Christ went all in to bring us to God by laying down his life for us. And now we are called to be all in by living as those who have been transformed by what Jesus has done in our lives. That's what these students learned this week. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we do come to you now thankful for this week that we just had, praising you for the things that we've learned, praying that the commitments we made at camp would carry over to reality here back in the real world. It's good to be pulled out of the world for a time. It's good to be away from phones and social media. It's good to be away from broken relationships and difficult home situations. So that we can completely focus on our relationship with you. But God, we know that that's not the real world. We know that we are here. It's where you've called us to be. And Lord, I just pray for every single one of these students and even the adults who went to camp. That whatever thoughts they had, whatever convictions they felt, whatever commitments they wanted to make, Lord, that those would remain true. As we now come back and we actually do the real work of following up, having tough conversations, Working towards all of these things that we've been talking about. Trusting in Christ for the salvation of our souls. Living as if we're citizens of heaven and not of this world. Lord, the work starts now. And God, we know that whatever happened at camp, whatever ways you worked in these students' lives, it wasn't because of camp. It wasn't because we Played the right song or had the right preacher or had the right games or put people on the right teams. It, would be, it was because you are God and you are committed to the glory of your name. And so, Lord, we stand here as a church, yes, thankful that we were able to do what we did. But, God, we owe you all of the worship all of the praise, all of the admiration for everything that happened there. So God, if there is anything that I feel I need to pray for that would result from camp this year, God, it is this, that you would be glorified. Lord, would, you, would it please you to glorify your name by saving students from their sin and bringing them into the kingdom of righteousness? God, would you glorify your name by transforming those who are already followers of you to live lives of holiness where they're no longer walking the fence. They make the decision to commit to be what they are and to look forward to who you are going to make them to be. Father, I pray for our church that we would continue to make the youth, even children, a priority for our church to reach the next generation with the gospel. Because even as we have come back to this world, to the normal life that we all live, Lord, that's where you've sent us. You've sent us into the world. We do look forward to the day when we will be with you in heaven, but you've given us a task to accomplish while we're here. Father, would you help us to do that? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.